0: Hello and welcome to the Cubit Guy podcast brought to you by Classic, the quantum algorithm design company. My name is Yuval and my guest today is Rob Hayes, CEO of Atom Computing. Rob and I discussed the uniqueness of Atom-based approaches, their go-to-market strategy, his view on diversity in the quantum workforce, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know how we did by emailing hello at classic.io, that's hello at io. Hello, Rob, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, you all. Nice, Nice to meet you and glad to be here. So who are you and what do you do?
1: Well, I'm Rob Hayes, CEO of Atom Computing. Atom Computing is a quantum computing hardware company on a mission to really create the world's most scalable and reliable system so that we can help our customers reach their next big discovery.
0: Well, that was short and sweet. So what does that mean uh, in a little bit more detail? If What is atom-based computing, um, and how is it different than maybe other modalities of quantum computing?
1: Yeah, good question. So atom computing is a quantum computing hardware company, like I said, which basically means we're building hardware platforms on which people can run their applications. And for us, the... Um, the mission is pretty clear, which is we really just need to build bigger machines as measured by number of qubits, and we need to make sure there's error correction in there so people are getting the right answers. And there's a lot packed into that short sentence, but and it's a lot of hard work, but at the end of the day, we're using a technology uh, that will allow us to scale up to very large numbers of qubits uh, by using uh, the world's first nuclear spin qubit that's made out of neutral atoms. And neutral atoms are alkaline Earth elements that come out of the second column of the uh, periodic table and they uh, have a property that they're very kind of stable and don't interact with other other atoms uh, unless you want them to and we're trapping these atoms in a vacuum chamber using uh, lasers at a certain wavelength of light that allow them to get very cold and still in space so that we can kind of control where they are and then we can uh, read and write quantum information to them using cameras and lasers and that's basically how we're doing it and in order to scale up the machine to More qubits, we just simply create more spots of light, each of which are individually controllable, and we can run the gates and circuits uh, using those those types of controls. On top of that, we have you know a software stack, infrastructure software, and APIs and ways to program the system, as well as uh, layering in error correction over time in order to build very useful quantum computers.
0: So obviously, building a quantum computer with the software stack to control it is is a big undertaking. Uh, Where are you on that uh, journey? How far are you from uh, being commercial or maybe customers are using it today? Where, where are you in the journey?
1: Well, we're a very young company. We were only founded in 2018 and got started building our first quantum uh, computing system in 2019. And in two years, uh, we were able to build what really was tied for the largest quantum computer at 100 qubits. Uh, and we did that with far less resources than anyone else. And that's really just a testament to the technology that we've chosen is very kind of efficient and, and, and quick to scale. Um, so what we have is our first system. I'll call it a prototype system now. It's called Phoenix. It's 100 qubits. Um, it's up and running. We're using it right now internally uh, to, to test, tune it, test the software stack, get the thing feature complete so customers can use it. Uh, we'll start to allow customers uh, to use it in really weeks, not months now. and uh, And that will start the learning curve of the software, the applications and the hardware kind of evolving together, which is really important as we go. Um, but, you know, to be perfectly honest, a hundred qubit system isn't all that useful. Uh, it's nice for research and, and running, you know, toy algorithms, but to run real applications with commercial value, we mean much, much larger systems. And that's what we're working on in the background.
0: How large is large? What's, well, what's much beyond a hundred?
1: I mean, today, semiconductors are billions of transistors, right? And so I'm sure someday we'll have billions of qubits as well. But the good news is you don't need billions of qubits to get value. Um, the, the way quantum computers work by, by being able to kind of compute lots and lots of information simultaneously inside of, of the qubits is, is going to allow us to do useful work probably with thousands or at least tens of thousands of qubits. Um, but ultimately we want to get to millions and beyond. And, you know, it's, I think everyone pretty much has that same kind of idea in the industry of where we need to go.
0: So you're using atoms as the base modality. I think there are three or four other companies in various parts of the world that uh, at least at a high level are doing the same thing. Why are you, how are you different? Why are you different?
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll kind of unpack that and answer that in two ways. One is why, why are kind of neutral atoms or what some people call cold atoms? Why, why are they kind of different or better than, than the other modalities? And then, and then how are we different or better than, than other, you know, companies working in that, in our modality? Um, So first of all, so um, neutral atoms or cold atoms as they're, as they're sometimes called, Basically are kind of superior to what the older modalities or the the modalities have been around longer, I should say, uh, in superconductors and trapped ions um, for a few reasons. One is they're not manufactured. We're not manufacturing chips or devices in order to to build these qubits. We're basically just capturing a natural element um, in a vacuum chamber. So there's no imperfections because each atom is identical by nature. Right um they're very stable we've we've demonstrated world record coherence times of over 40 seconds for every qubit and we've got an archive paper out uh in the public domain for folks to read on how we did that um, these atoms are controlled <coughs> wirelessly by laser so we can read and write the information without having to cable up each qubit so that makes it unique from other modalities where generally on their chips or devices they're able to get maybe a dozen or 20 or so qubits per device, but then they have to cable up all these different devices in order to get them to operate as one larger system. We don't, we don't have to do that. We just create more spots of light and our, um, our atoms are, are placed, you know, a few microns apart, which are far enough apart that they don't interact with each other in their ground state, but close enough that they can, they can have a lot of interaction in a, in a, um, in a quantum state and that allows us to write two Q gates and, uh, and we can do all that in a very, very small space. So at hundred qubits, uh, the whole system is less than 40 microns on a side and to get to a million qubits, we would still be less than, uh, 500 microns on a side. So less than a, a, a cubic millimeter, you know, far less than a cubic millimeter to get a million qubits. So it's, it's quite unique in that, that way relative to the other modalities that have to be cabled up and put into dilution refrigerators and things like that. With respect to our position versus our competitors in a similar modality, um, you know, on one level, we're all kind of in the same place. We've all kind of got something around 100 qubits. There, there's a couple other companies that are out there that are doing something similar. Um, but in some ways we're going after different, either different applications or different go to market. Um, I know one of my competitors is more around building systems. I'm more and uh, selling the systems. I'm more focused on building a cloud service at this point in time. Um, another competitor is, is uh, um, building a simulation machine, not a gate-based machine. And most people believe that gate-based machines are what's really needed for the future. Um, So there are differences in sort of our approaches, even if we're using similar technologies.
0: So let's talk about go-to-market. The customers that you mentioned, first, what is it that they want to do with a 100 qubit system? And How do you make it available to them? Uh, Is it through your own cloud? Is it through a a cloud from like Amazon or Microsoft or uh, one of these guys? Is it in some other way? Uh, Talk to me about that, please.
1: Yeah. So our our 100 qubit based system is, uh, you know, it's it's contemporary with the size of many of the systems that are out there. Some are dozens of qubits. There's a, a few that are 100 or so. Uh, And right now, most of the customers uh, that would use something like that are are classic early adopter customers, customers that are wanting to build up their internal skill sets on how to program quantum systems and learn, you know, kind of how does the performance differ versus CPUs or GPUs or other accelerators. And and they're willing to invest in people and, and time in order to go get those learnings. But there's not a lot of economic value that gets created out of such small systems today. Um, it's more like a preparation and a learning right for the future systems in the next two or three years. And so, uh, the kinds of companies that we're seeing that are making those investments are, you know, large banks on wall street, for example, are building up, you know, some teams to figure out how to do, um, you know, portfolio optimizations or risk management kind of problems that they can use quantum computing for. We're seeing a lot of infor- uh, a lot of interest in transportation and logistics where we've got uh, different mapping or routing, um, that quantum computers can help with, uh, biotech for uh, chemical and and molecule simulations. And there's a lot of interest, (coughs) excuse me, in the the government space worldwide for lots of reasons, but government research, defense uh, usages, as well as just building up sort of the economic and technological um, capabilities in quantum, because everybody knows it's a huge paradigm shift for the next, you know, 50 plus years in computing, and nobody wants to get behind. Um, as far as go-to-market uh, today on Phoenix, uh, we don't have it available on anyone's any any third-party cloud. We only will offer it through our own API initially. So we'll give customers access, you know, through through our own um, private cloud and let them test the code. We'll be launching our uh, a more public cloud service uh, in the future, but we're not ready to announce the date
0: yet. When you look at a quantum computer, it's a very complex system, starting from creating the individual qubits to controlling them and so on and so on. It's a multi-level stack. Do you see yourself as vertically integrated, sort of like the car manufacturers of of way back then? Or do you think that your work stops at some level and then other companies or other organizations will take care of other points in the stack?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, As a a hardware platform provider, we're going to need to have some skills and capabilities and know-how top to bottom in the stack so that we can understand how customers want to use the system and how it performs and help guide them. But from a business model perspective, we have much more of a horizontal building block approach where we'd like to partner with software providers and cloud service providers, application uh, developers, and uh, consultants and system integrators and all of the above in order to build a basically participate in an ecosystem. And and our goal is really just to build, like I said at the beginning, the most scalable quantum computers we can with error correction and then let our partners uh, invite the customers and help the customers program them to do whatever applications they want.
0: You mentioned that the early customers are experimenting, essentially writing toy models because perhaps with you know 50 or 100 qubits they're not going to get anything that they couldn't get done on a classical computer at what size of a quantum computer or what other parameters whether it's fidelity or connectivity or gate set or anything like that do you think that people will get true quantum advantage
1: yeah i mean that's the billion dollar question you're asking right there and and uh you know i don't know that i have all the answers on on you know what is going to be the killer app on a thousand or a ten thousand qubit machine in the future Uh, But what I hear from customers is there's lots of ideas on what people think that they can use, um, you know, these systems of these scales for. And one of the things that um, we're doing and and with partners and others is really trying to map out uh, some of these use cases of interest that we're hearing from customers onto how many, you know, qubits or circuit, you know, how big does a circuit need to be? How deep does it need to be? How performant does it need to be in order to provide value versus what they could do on a classical HPC cluster, for example? And um, it looks like there are some early use cases that will have you know economic value in the I'll say thousand to four thousand kind of qubit. But again, these will be um, early adopter use cases. They could be big, like big financial services ones, big pharma ones, for example, machine learning in in cloud services. Um, But as we scale to you know hundred thousand and and a million and beyond over the coming you know years and decade. you know, I think a lot more applications are going to get written. a lot more use cases are going to uh, fit in those class of systems or size of systems. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do everything we can with our partners to help our customers discover the next killer app that probably no one's even thought of yet, to be honest.
0: I think that uh, one of the issues that people talk about is the workforce issue. I saw a slide from McKinsey. I, I hope I remember it correctly, that in a couple of years, there will be 10,000 open jobs in the quantum computing industry and maybe four or 5,000 people that can do it. So there's going to be a huge, huge shortage. What do you think about that? And, and what do you think should be done to close that gap if it exists? Yeah,
1: I think... Um It is going to be a problem today that the market and the kind of industry is small enough that, you know, it's probably not an an immediate problem that we don't have, you know, like millions of people that have the right skill set, but it is scarce today. And so there's definitely competition for talent. You know, for us, what are we looking for? Number one, it's technical talent, right? Engineers, physicists, software developers um, of lots of different disciplines, right? Because we're building a complete system. So, you know, think of any engineering discipline, it's probably somewhere embedded in our system. Um, and so we, we are attracting, you know, we have over 20 PhDs. We're a small company, but we've got lots of PhDs. We're over 80% engineers. And like I said, multiple different disciplines. So we need to, in our company and the industry at large, attract talented engineers who want to come into a nascent end, uh, industry like quantum computing and bring their talents to help us, you know, make it real. And then there's also the business, you know, the business hires and the, and the administrative and all that. And, and, you know, when you're building companies in an industry, you need all disciplines as well. It's not just technical. Technical is number one. That's going to be the, the, the majority of the, of the jobs. But we also need, you know, finance and marketing and business development, sales and all the other disciplines. And, you know, at Adam, I think we're very, I feel very blessed that we've been able to attract really good talent. Um, we've got an amazing technical team. Uh, that Ben Bloom and Jonathan King who founded the company, started to build, you know, two, three years ago. <clears throat> and we continue to get very high caliber resumes flying in, which is really nice. Uh, and then we've started to build the business team to go to market. We just hired Denise Ruffner, who has experience at IonQ and IBM Quantum. Um, so she's very uh, uh, well connected in the industry and very talented. Um, and, and Justin Ging, who we hired out of Honeywell uh, Quantum Systems uh, recently, and he's going to be our head of product. And he's got a lot of experience at both semiconductor companies as well as um, quantum systems companies in defining products that customers love. Um, and so we're really excited to have that team on board and start building out the business side as well. Uh, I think that the next big challenge for us, in addition to just skill set, is uh, is diversity. We're we're not where we want to be on diversity. Uh, when you look at the applications that quantum computing is going to have, uh, it's going to touch many different people around the world and many different uh, you know types of industries and eventually consumer life. I don't know how that'll do that exactly, but but we know it will. And we want those products and services to represent the people, and we need more diversity of thought and experience and background and culture um, in in the industry in order to. to discover those applications and make sure that they have great user experiences that people around the world love. And so that's something that we at Atom Computing are really trying to dedicate ourselves to is attracting a diverse workforce. And that's going to start with education and sponsorship of interns and things before people actually walk in the door you know, and send us a re- resume. We're going to need to make sure we attract them, a diverse set of people into the industry at large.
0: As we get close to the end of our conversation today, I'm wondering as CEO, what keeps you up at night? Is it uh, overhyping quantum computers and there'll be a quantum winter or is it funding or is it people? What's the thing you're most worried about?
1: Um, That's a good question. A lot of people talk about this quantum winter, I don't buy it. right? you know, we're at, the, we're at the ground level of building quantum systems. We're, we're basically, cap, you know, we're capturing atoms and we're turning them into quantum computers. It doesn't get any more elemental than that, right? And I'm very confident in our roadmap and our team in order to go do that. And as long as we continue to scale the systems at the pace that we, we know we can go do, uh, I don't think there'll be a quantum winter. So that doesn't worry me. Uh, I, don't, I don't worry too much about funding because if we execute to the roadmap, I know the funding will come. And uh, so what I really worry about is building... Building a team, competing for the scarce talent that's out there, attracting the diversity like I just talked about, and executing to our technology roadmap at a pace that really kind of sets the pace for the industry, to be frank. And that's what I get up to do every morning. And that's what I guess maybe keeps me up at night is how can we go faster?
0: Excellent. So Rob, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work?
1: Yeah, love love to hear from potential customers, partners, employees, anyone that's interested in following our journey. Uh, You can follow us at adam-computing.com.
0: Very good. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun.